Hi everyone, welcome to Joe Talks Comics. This is a podcast where I talk to friends about the comics I've been reading and enjoying lately, plus some episodes and creator interviews. This episode is one of those creator interviews, more specifically a Kickstarter conversation, because if you've noticed with these creator chit-chats and Kickstarter conversations, that's... I can't believe I got that right first time, I'm pretty proud of myself there. Um, I like my alliteration. So... Yeah, this week and today for this special Monday Kickstarter conversation. The Kickstarter conversation is always going to be on Monday, so I didn't need to specify that. But this special Monday episode, I talked with David Luhan. Sorry, I might completely mispronounce that. I apologise. But about his new Kickstarter that's gone live recently and ends on March 6th. Nerida. So this is for booked book one, Landlocked. Yeah, so it's like, I think it might be a two-week campaign if you're listening to this on the day it comes out. So definitely recommend. You can find a preview of the issue in the show notes if you want to have a look at the art stuff beforehand. But yeah, this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I I thought it's always cool when we can get into a... What makes a comic special, because that's something that keeps coming up, is like what makes this stand out, and what can this specific creator tell me about their work, and just trying to get those like different perspectives and different insights into the creative processes, because especially with indie comics, no, no one comic is going to be the same as any other, and like even down to the, the format, as right, we'll get into here. So yeah, it was, again, it was an interesting conversation, so... I'm excited for you to hear that. You can find the link to the Kickstarter and all of David's uh, socials in the show notes again. So, again, worth supporting if you can. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And I'll see you on the other side. So, David, uh, writer, artist of the Red comic that I brought you on to talk about today is... It's good to have you. Excited to talk. Absolutely, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for thanks for chatting with me, making time. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you reached out because it, yeah, it, it's a really interesting book. So I, I'm glad you uh, gave me a chance to read it because uh, yeah, as I say, as I said in the, uh, I remember I messaged you the other day. It's like oh, I said, oh yeah, thanks for sending. It. I really enjoyed it. And then you quite rightly were like, well, yeah, it, it would be awkward if you didn't, wouldn't it? And then I was like, yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would make for some uh, interesting banter. Yeah, so before we get too much into it, do you want to introduce the comic and a bit of what it's about? Sure, absolutely. Um, this comic is is titled Narita, Book One, uh, Landlocked. And it's a fantasy um fantasy comic book about a mermaid who gets trapped on land. And this is sort of the uh, introductory, introduction to the to this series. It's supposed to be a 10-part series. Uh, hopefully that will be released in the coming months and years. Um, and this thing kind of kicks everything off, where the, we meet the main character and figure out how she gets trapped on land and kind of what she needs to do. And it, it sets things in motion and introduces the concepts. So. Nice. Yeah, it was an interesting start that uh, I thought it did a good job of establishing the uh, the plot and the characters from the start. And uh, I'm intrigued to see where it goes, hopefully over the next nine parts. So 
how did this idea in this book come about then? I, I was just doodling and I drew a picture of a woman next to a cat. And the woman was either really small or the cat was either very large. And I didn't know which was which. And uh, I was drawing with my daughter. She was like two at the time. And so I just asked her, I said, is this lady, is this lady smaller as the cat? Or big? She was like, the lady's small. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I started thinking to myself, like, well, how did this lady end up so small? Who is she? Why is she hanging out with this cat? Um, and I started writing a story kind of around that weird doodle. Uh, and I kind of formulated this weird mythology around it. So that's that's kind of the, the, the crux of how it began in the first place. Nice. And so it, it does have that whimsical fantasy feel. Is that something that you've been interested in before this or was that something you just sort of stumbled into well actually it's it's kind of funny because i'm not i'm not really a uh, a fantasy uh, pro by any stretch of the imagination mm. uh, you know i don't play dungeons and dragons i don't i don't really go in for like dressing up like an elf and going to the renaissance fair or anything like that and a friend of mine uh is sort of as a joke to make fun of me gave me a book called fairies gnomes and other little people and it reads like <laughs> nonfiction. it's like an encyclopedia about all these stories all the grimm's fairy tales and all those things but it reads as though these things really happen so they talk about the different types of fairies in different parts of europe and um i started reading it and i said i came across all the section about mermaids that the stories were just like achingly beautiful and really uh i don't know i was really drawn to them so i thought well hey that'd be cool if this weird little person next to this cat was somehow a mermaid but how and why and you know so i started taking all of those different stories and i kind of amalgamated them into what will be the, the overarching story of the whole thing once the 10 part series is complete nice yeah and i mean just looking at the the cover for the the first book i know i love the atmosphere of it and the like that the colors are just like really beautiful and there's something really nice and like vibrant and sparkly about your art how how much of your style was sort of deliberate and because it, it fits well with the like whimsical tone of the story because then you also have that, uh, another book uh Eureka, which is much more like like gr- like grimy horror so I'm, I'm assuming that that's something you're sort of keeping in mind that you're tr- changing up your style i mean obviously correct me if i'm wrong but no no you're absolutely right uh so i've been working on this, uh, the Narita storyline for quite some time. I didn't really start working on it in earnest until uh, about two years ago. Mm, um, right. And I kind of developed that style of doing like, you know, uh, ink washes and brush work and the types of brushes that I wanted to use because I illustrated in the iPad. And uh, I, I, I got it kind of honed in where I wanted it to be and what I wanted it to look like and the texture and everything like that. And I had gotten pretty far along in it and I just needed a break. And so with the, the Yuriko book, which I did a campaign for that last September, I thought I'm going to take a 90 degree turn and I want to make it dark and grimy and stark black and white. And, uh, you know, with a not so fantasy and it's a historical fiction and it's supposed to be set in a real place, Seoul, South Korea. Um, so mm. those two things, that, that was definitely a deliberate move, but, the Narita, the style of the Narita book and the way it's illustrated took me much longer to develop than the Yuriko uh, book did because that one was just me pushing, like clearing off my desk. All my tools just got brushed away and I said, okay, 
start from scratch. I'm going to limit myself to like three or four brushes and that'll be it. You know, so that, that that's that's why those things are so completely different from each other. Yeah, that's that's so cool to hear. I yeah, I I really do think they're both such like, intriguing and like great reads and oh, it's so great. And one thing that I picked up on is both Nerida and Yuriko have a like, square format to the the pages, which is obviously different from most comics these days, which uh more like, like rectangular was that what's a went into the thought process of, of that of making them more like square pages you are you are perceptive sir um that that square format is half of one legal size piece of paper at least in the u.s um that is seven inches by 14 inches so my right. original plan for these books both of them was to just print them off on my computer on like not on my computer but on my on my home printer and be able to Xerox copy them at right. you know, mm. the Kinko's and then fold them over, staple them and then sell them at where on the street corner. That, that was, that was the thought process behind that. It's much easier to, to attain that because it's a standard size piece of paper. Uh, so instead of making it a full size, what is a standard comic size? They ended up this weird, smaller slightly smaller size but i think it's kind of fun and, I, and i'm hoping that once they are in the collected edition sort of in a book format that it will uh it, it'll look really cool i just i like the, the shape of a, a kind of a squat fat book as opposed to a, lo- a long tall book i don't know maybe i'm just a weirdo but no yeah i, I think it, it is cool and it, it's just a way to differentiate it and make them like unique and stand out Hopefully, hopefully they don't just get lost in the shuffles and like slightly, <laughs> slightly smaller than every every other book on the planet. But you know, yeah. Mm. So, and and so we sort of mentioned it briefly, but with Yuriko, you had the campaign for that very recently. So, what was that like getting the story like printed in, in that format? Um, so. I had that one going and, and, and I was mm. like, you know, fumbling around in the dark. I'd never done a campaign before. I'd never actually published a comic book before. Um, and I ended up hooking up with Lesser Known Comics uh, and Mark Bernal. And it's a small indie publishing company. Uh, he's based out of Washington, D.C., but there's a whole bunch of us all over the U.S. Uh, and Canada. There's one illustrator out of Toronto. Um, and we... He handled the fulfillment for that book. Uh, so we were in constant contact. What do you need from me? Oh, here's a PDF. Here's the file. Here's the blah, 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 blah. And so Mark uh, kind of orchestrated that whole thing. I do come from a design background, sort of. I went to art school in Austin, Texas. So when it comes to formatting things and getting them ready for print ready, I have a degree in printmaking. So I kind of understand the co- the concept of like okay well CMYK is going to be printed like this you know I understand lithography and offset printing and all of that kind of stuff so this is really fun for me actually the physical aspect of making a physical copy of a comic book is is it's uh it's right up my alley as it were nice yeah that's cool because I, I know of course it's not always easy or it's it's not always doesn't always go smoothly so that's it's nice to know that you were able to hook up with less than comics like that and get it out there to people. Yeah, yeah, and and, and the, the the actual fulfillment mark filled the boxes with a whole bunch of extra swag. So there was like some cool Yuriko stickers and some LKC stickers and all kinds of stuff like that in there. So when people got the boxes and they opened it up, it was like a gift bag 
you know, with you get all these extra bookmarks and fun, crazy stuff. So I'm going to try and do all that stuff with the Narita campaign too. Um, I'm going to be doing the fulfillment with that one myself. So I'm hoping to, you know, put a cool art print in there and some stickers and bookmarks and all, all the, all the fun goodies as well. Nice. So, so speaking of and sort of transitioning a bit then, is there anything in particular that you learned from the Eurico campaign that you that you were trying to either just do better or do differently or just maybe, maybe even do the same thing if you found something that worked with the campaign of the Redder? Uh, um, I guess having 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 all of our, our ducks in a row ahead of time, right? So mm. I had the book finished, you know, in December, and if I had if I had been on top of it with the Eurico campaign, I would have gotten things printed immediately, you know, had them just ready to go. So as soon as the campaign was done, then I can box them up and mail them to people right away and get that out of the way. But we ended up dragging our feet a little bit on that. So I think we learned from that uh, experience. And this time around, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to fulfill the, the Narita campaign much quicker. Just because I, I kind of want to, you know, I want to move on and I want to be able to promote the next book and I want to be able to uh, make more connections and talk to more people about the next campaign and and just keep building on stuff. Also, I've got a whole bunch of uh, comic cons that I'm doing in the next couple of months. So I need to, <laughs> I need to have something in my hand to bring to those comic cons. If, if it takes forever for me to actually get physical copies myself, then I'm kind of up a creek. So <laughs> I'm going to try and get that done a little quicker this time around. Yeah. So another thing I thought that was cool, which I noticed, is that your I, I was saying this yesterday when talking to Francis Manapool, who is an a creator that I absolutely love, and there was something that came up because he's had different experiences with like writing and drawing, and it came up how I always appreciate and think it's cool when you have like creators that are good at writing and creators that are good at like art and like separately. So when you have someone that can do like both the like the writing and the art and I believe on Nerida it says here the lettering as well so to have someone that can like do all those things themselves I, I, I always think that's that, that must be quite cool and gratifying to like uh, craft something together just almost entirely by yourself so what's that sort of process like where you're doing those multiple roles like that well <laughs> when I think about it because people have asked me that before Mm. When I think about it, it's it's kind of just because I didn't know any better, you know. To right, start out yeah. with, I was like, I didn't know you were supposed to get somebody else to letter your comic book. Wow, that's that seems pretty posh. So I just kind of figured out how to do it, and I did it myself. Um, and then come to find out, like, oh, people do that, and they do it much better than me. Perhaps I should hire one of them to do it, you know. So uh, that that was <laughs> that was the main impetus for for that situation. But I do know, uh, and I have known. I've had heroes before, like Frank Miller, for instance, who, you know, he drew Sin City. He wrote the script for it and he lettered the entire thing. Uh, he also did all the cover art for it. He did all the, the coloring when there was coloring, including some of the, the weird flashbacks where it's like, you know, watercolor and all that stuff. And that always kind of struck me as like, this this guy is the complete package. He knows exactly what he wants it to look like when he <clears> writes <throat> the script. And then he also has the gratification of saying, okay, it came out exactly. I don't have anybody to blame but myself, right? If it comes out looking kind of funky or weird and I'm not satisfied with it, mm. I I could see myself being a little, you know, disgruntled with someone else. And I, I really don't want to be 
in that situation. Which is not to say that I would never work with another illustrator and just put myself in the writing role. Um, I'd love to do that. That would be really cool. Uh, but for now, I'm, <laughs> I'm leaning on my strengths because I know I can draw pretty well. I don't know that I can write really well, or at least I'm not as confident in that. So I'll, I'll write a story and then I'll make it, try and make it look really awesome so that I can fool people into reading it. That's, <laughs> that's my tactic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes that's, yeah, sometimes that's what you've got to do. I mean, even talking about Frank Miller, it reminded me that recently I've been reading, well, so this time last year I read Invincible the first time and then so towards the end of last year I was reading The Walking Dead starting that for the first time and yeah. it's interesting seeing that on like the credits pages that uh, the first like, dozen issues or so of each more or less um, Kirkman lettered them himself before bringing on Russ Wooten so yeah it, it's just it's, it was one of those things that I mean I've heard endless amounts about both of those series but I just never knew that at the start he just left it himself so it's just those cool layers you find out about these books yeah it's it also it opens up a uh, it opens up a whole different um, uh, realm of possibility to be lazy because and by that I mean you know if I'm doing pencils right I don't need my pencils to be so tight that the inker is definitely not going to stray from every one of my marks I can leave mm. my pencils extremely loose knowing what I was thinking and the image will basically just jog my own memory knowing that I'm going to be the one that comes back and inks it. And when I ink things, that's when I tighten things up, right? And then I can also, as the colorist of the book too, I don't have to do any flatting because I will ink the foreground, middle ground, and background or the central characters in the background or whatever on separate layers in the program knowing that I'm going to select that uh character or that house or that cat or whatever it is uh separately and color it a different color so i don't have to do any flatting so i'm ending up saving my time and i don't i don't know if laziness is the term for it or if it's just uh uh efficiency out of efficiency so i really actually enjoyed uh having a, a hand in the entire process for those reasons for sure because you don't have to wait for anybody else to finish anything and if you think two steps ahead you can cut corners not in a cheating way but just in an efficiency way to get things done quicker you know what i mean mm. yeah and i mean i think that again, again speaks to something that francis talked about last night as a recording where some, sometimes and it's just easier it's because because if you know it you're the one that knows it and it's all in your head where he, he was talking about this like crazy like sequence from the flash and it was like complicated, but he didn't have to worry about trying to articulate it to an artist because like he was the artist, or with his YouTube channel where that, that like it's like it's like a video diary to him, so he can just sort of edit it himself and like know what he was thinking. And so yeah, I imagine that there is always that level of maybe not maybe laziness isn't the, the right word, but just in terms of freedom, maybe it doesn't feel right, but it sort of comes to mind where you, you can just. Um, They'll take those shortcuts, really, and and, and then just to, to make the thing that you want to do without having to, I suppose, without having to articulate to anyone else like what what your vision is. You can just get it straight. Yeah, into so, the page. so like, yeah, mm. that's exactly what it is. Because uh, like, I just finished doing a book for another writer, this guy named Morgan Quaid, who lives in Australia, and he sent me a script, and the script was very familiar feeling to me because the way he described things, he he's a you know writer only. Um, but he, 
he described like the scene just enough to where I could visualize it. And then I would just run with it and I would put it onto a page, you know, but it was just enough. It wasn't too much. He didn't throw all these crazy details in there unless they needed to be there. Um, so it was enough freedom for me to be able to kind of create inside my head based on the picture that he's painting for me. Um, and that's kind of what I do. Like when I write a script for Narita or for Yuriko or something like that, um, I just try and describe each panel enough to jog my memory to get me to be like, okay, that's what it looks like in my mind's eye. All right, cool. I'm going to try and make that happen on paper somehow, blah, blah, blah. And nine times out of 10, it works just fine. But every once in a while too, whether you're working with another writer or you're working with yourself, in your mind's eye, it looks one way. And then you put it on paper and you're like, well, but she's got to reach into her pocket. She's got to pull out that bird skull. She's got to crush it in her hand. And then she's got to blow the powder in this guy's face. That's like four or five different maneuvers. I can't really do that all in one panel. It's listed as one panel. So I'm going to break it up into two panels or three panels and see if I can't get that movement to happen um, in, a, in, in a comic book format. Because the, the, the time relativity of comic books is not Einsteinian. It, it, it's on its <laughs> own. It's on its own timeline in the in the multiverse, and it doesn't make sense to to the physical world in any way. Sometimes, you know. Yeah, and that makes sense. As I suppose part of the the specialness of the medium. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you talked a bit about your sort of process with the art in terms of like the inking and the coloring, but how much do you like script for yourself in terms of writing out like? The, the story and the dialogue and what you want to just what you wanted to be so how like rigid are you with that sort of thing on that side before coming to the art i i i you I, when i first started drawing comic books i was just winging it i would be like oh, okay this page this has to happen and i would just kind of draw it and be like well, they're maybe gonna say this to each other and it was fine for the the experimentation of all that stuff but when i went back and reread it i was gonna you know uh edit the thing quote unquote to try and um, see if it flowed or had good continuity or if the panels were moving in the right amount of time and pacing and all of that stuff. It just was just jar. It was just jarring and, and disjointed and it was gobbledygook. It wasn't any good. Um, so I, I slowly told myself, you know what? You'll save yourself a lot of headache if you script the entire thing first. And I came across a Daredevil uh, book titled Born Again that he did with David Mazzuccelli. And in the back of it, it was like a collected edition. And in the back of it was an entire script for one of the comics in the collected edition uh, by Frank Miller, just typed up. And so that, that's that been kind of my blueprint. Like, oh, okay, panel one, page one, this is the scene. He describes it, yada, yada, yada. And then down below, he's got the captions or he's got the person's name who's going to be talking and what they're going to say, blah, blah, blah. And I, I was like, you know, it's just so organized and it's laid out and you can and you can figure out your story arc beginning, middle, and end of the book um, and what needs to happen and how many pages those things need to happen. So I do spend a lot of time in pre, like, uh, pre-press, like I guess you could say, before I start drawing anything. You know what I mean? I'll work on character mm-hmm. sketches and stuff, but as far as making the images that go in the panels and the, and the pages for the book, I spend a lot of time scripting first. Or at least I get the script done first before I start drawing anything. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that, that makes sense. It's it, it's always fun to hear about a creator's process because everyone does it like a completely different way. There's just so many different ways to to go about it. Do like different, many different ways of the process. So yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. And and the the other thing too that I found super interesting working with uh, Morgan Quaid is that you know uh, his process is 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 slightly different from mine. So there's this collaboration, there's this give and take where I, I would I'd make a page and I'd be like, "What do you think about this for the look of the thing?" And he'd say, "Yes or no," or "I like this, but I don't like that." Like, All right, cool. And I would make adjustments, and it's like this this dialogue, and that's actually really enjoyable for me because it always helps me think outside of my get outside of my own head because. You know, when I draw something, usually when I'm done drawing it, I'm like, wow, that's great. That looks just the way I want it to look. But it, it might not look the way someone else w- would want it to look if it was their character or their story, you know? So the, the process and like interacting with other people is actually really fun because you, you can spend a lot of time bantering about things. I like to nail stuff down and get it done and be like, all right, well, let's, let's land on, a, on an idea here. But it, it is very interesting to me to, to see other people's perspectives and what they like or don't like you know? yeah 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 definitely so you talked a bit earlier about the sort of the, the inspiration the, the inceptions for Lurida. was there any specific influences behind uh, yuriko in the creation of that <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> sort of i'm chuckling for for a, a really stupid reason uh a friend of mine this was during the pandemic you know everyone's locked down i'm drawing comics and stuff just for myself but uh, i work as a at the time i was working as like a handyman so i was going around people's houses fixing things building fences just manual labor basically and i was just in my head all the time and so i started drawing stuff and posting it on instagram and somebody was like hey you should draw you should draw a vampire having sex with werewolves and i thought that sounds cool sure i'll draw that (laughs) So I did, and then the same thing happened that happened with, with Narita, where I was like, how? How does a vampire end up, <laughs> end up having sex with a werewolf? Other than the, the you know Twilight and all of that stuff that is obviously vampire werewolf sex. But <laughs> from that, this like whole story kind of came to mind, and I thought, ooh, I'll set that in Korea, because I, I've heard of very few vampire stories coming out of Asia. Um, and that would be really fun. And then I can have like a whole different pantheon of different like Tibetan vampires and Mongol vampires, and like all, all kinds of crazy stuff to mess with. That's not your normal Transylvania, uh, Gothic London fog kind of thing. Um, so th- that's, that's kind of where the Yuriko thing came from. Um, and as far as the, as far as the layout and artwork goes, um, I was reading a, a series called The Fade Out by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. And I just absolutely loved their, their, the, the way Sean Phillips sets up panels. Also, I have a, a Joe Kubert book called uh, Jew Gangster. And that one is like, it's divided up. The page is always divided in half right off the bat. But then the way he will t- select like, oh, these two panels will be grouped together or these three will be together or it'll be all six panels. Um, it's just genius. It's masterful. It takes the, it takes the, the zip bang kind of 90s image comics thing out of the equation and it focuses you more on the story. It also makes it look older. Um, and since it's supposed to be set in 1900 Seoul, I think if it was, if it looked like Gotham Academy, it wouldn't really translate as well. Yeah, that's that's interesting to know because it, it does have a those explicit elements about both um, series, both the Ritter and Yuriko. And it, yeah, you, you mentioned about how with Eurokit, it's not necessarily your sort of like traditional 
um, like Transylvania vampires was, I mean, the, the phrase we used. So that was uh, fun to see. So it was something interesting to see. Yeah, and then yeah, it ends up it ends up getting even weirder. Um, so the the next Yuriko book, which is supposed to come out this summer, uh, she starts using the the Siberian uh, Trans Siberian Railway, which is built around that time frame, uh, to travel by train. So she's starting to move, and the next one takes place in Siberia, and uh, so it's gonna be cold. Everybody's gonna have clothes on, <laughs> uh, which would be you know a a, a big step for me because for some reason all my characters are pretty much naked all the time. So I'm, mm. I'm going to put some clothes on them this time. It's going to be awesome. We'll, we'll make a change then. <laughs> yeah. The, um, my, my daughter actually was the biggest impetus for me to, to try and, you know, have some fashion design going on with my characters. She's like, how come they're always, they're always naked. And I'm like, cause I'm lazy. <laughs> I'm not good at dressing myself. I, I don't know what their outfits are. She's like, oh, I'll come up with some outfits for you and you just put them on your characters. I'm like, okay, sure, that sounds great. Because you know, 14-year-old girls know everything, obviously. Yeah, and that's something that I always find interesting, that some artists are not only good artists, but they're also good designers. Because I think that's something that, I, I mean, I personally don't always think about it. It's quite easy to overlook like when an artist is given like a script and they've got like a, a scene it's like described but they there's so much of it they have to like create from scratch like, and the amount of times i remember a few times like seeing like a paragraph from a script and then seeing that sort of um like transformed into a panel and it, it, it's always interesting to me like how many decisions are made or like how things should work and because I suppose in like prose, you can just leave it at that description, and it's up to the reader's imagination. But like, like the the reader can decide what what color the curtains are, and this is getting off track. But whereas, like, if you're drawing a comic, then like, the artist has to has to decide like what color are the curtains, and uh, hopefully that that all made sense. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that that's that's something that I thought about a lot actually with the Yuriko thing because I originally wrote it as a novel, as like a prose mm-hmm. novel. So I've I've got like I don't know 300 pages written of her misadventures in Europe, um, and I thought, man, that this would be cool to do as a comic book. But what I didn't want to do was to reillustrate the book, the novel, in comic book form because I see that happen sometimes, and I'm like, oh, but the novel was so good, you know, and, right, and the comic yeah. book is great, but it's it sort of cheapens it or whatever. So what I thought I'd do is, and what I'm trying to attempt to do is to make five issues of Yuriko in, in the graphic comic book format to supplement the book. So this is like the in-between stories that happen during the downtime that's not described in the book. But if you read them, they'll be like companion pieces to each other. And hopefully I don't do what it was that you were just describing, where I don't step on the, the reader's toes and like telling them what to imagine. Because I I want that. I want readers to conjure up what Yuriko looks like and how she moves and how she interacts with people and all of the different characters. You know what I'm saying? So that, that definitely plays a huge part in, in my thought process for sure. Yeah. So first of all, it's a little behind the scenes where everyone listening, we're recording this on Zoom because I don't normally use Zoom, but that's just what we had to use this time. And because there's a time there, but we had to take a quick uh, intermission to uh, come off the previous call we were on and start a new one 
And I, I, say, I say that, I mentioned that to lead into my next question. During that uh, intermission, you we sort of joked about like world domination and those sorts of things yeah. and uh, the, the different sort of cons you want to go to. And so how much, because, because I know as an indie creator, lots of indie creators, they have to be very um, like public and so outgoing, I think is the word I'm looking for in terms of promoting their book. So how, how much thought have you applied to sort of like which cons you want to go to? And I suppose you already mentioned cons, but I, I just, yeah, I, I was just curious about the, the, the promotion process of, of your book and the kickstarters and everything surrounding that it's been a it's been a, a strange it's been a strange set of scenarios mm. i come from a, a music background and and from an arts background so i play in three different bands and so the promotion machine is just always turning you're always making t-shirts you're promoting the next show you're practicing you've got to figure out what you're going to look like in your promo photos blah 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 but it's like a it's like walking uphill as lava is pouring down the hill because it's actually a volcano and you're never going to make it to the top. Whereas with comic books, people are actually interested and people mm. will actually respond to you. So I found that it's actually, you, you get much more traction with the amount of energy you put in. Um, so, it, which makes me feel more willing to do it. You know, if it was as much of a slog as the music promotion is, I would probably be a little more reluctant to have anything to do with any of it. I'd be like, mm, oh, I'm just going to hire somebody to do it for me and I'll pay them and I'll just draw the comic books and I don't want to talk to anybody. But, but the fact that people are interested and want to hear what you have to say and I'm meeting really interesting people and I want to hear what they have to say mm. is has just been really, really cool, actually. And the fact that this is my what first year really getting into the foray of professional comic making and I am already you know, going to be doing four cons in the next like three months. I feel like that's pretty awesome. If I can keep going at, at that breakneck pace by this time next year, maybe I'll be, you know, I don't know. I'll have a bunch of books under my belt. I'll be d doing bigger cons that I want to do, you know? Yeah. And I know that one of my best friends, online friends, uh, Lauren of the Your Friendly Neighbor comic show, check her out on her show if, if anyone hasn't already. But I, I, I always love and aspire to how much she's connected with so many different uh, indie creators and just creating that community and my point being is that it's so fun to hear you say that it's not as it's still it's still going to be like difficult at times but maybe not as grueling as it, it could be and so it, it always I don't know how much you've connected with people but in general it, it always feels cool to see these like creators of these books that are like connecting with others and creating this like community where they can all like sort of support them like basically as what I'm describing. Uh, I always think that's cool. I don't know how much experience you have with anything like that. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I, I just met a guy named Dan Price who also lives in Austin, Texas. He's got a, an indie book called Bigfoot Knows Karate. Um, and he's been doing indie comic stuff for years now. You know, I mean, he did it several years ago and had a publishing company and then he just struck out again on his own to do his own book, blah, 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 blah. Um, and he just like welcomed me into the Austin community. I didn't mm -hmm. know that there were so many indie creators that lived in Austin. And when he found out I lived in Austin, because he knew about my Instagram account, uh, Narita Comic, but he didn't know who it was behind it. Then when we, when we met in person, he was like, you're my bartender from the <laughs> club that I used to go to. And I was like, I am your bartender. You used to drink a 
a martini <laughs> up with olives. Yeah. And he's like, yes, I did. Wow, this is really weird. What a small world. But, you know, there's that camaraderie where Austin is, is basically a pretty small town at, at its heart, um, especially if you stick around long enough. And when he so he invited me to go hang out with some other indie creators. And right away they were like, you know, happy to meet me and stoked to talk about comic books with me. And like we're making plans to hang out again. And just I don't know. It's just a great community. Everybody's everybody's really helpful. And I keep waiting for the other shoot to to drop like right. somebody's <laughs> gonna stab me in the back any second but it hasn't happened yet so i'm just gonna keep going you know yeah i mean and i think it speaks to the volume of books out there beyond the traditional comics that lots of people and most comic readers see on shelves i think there's something interesting to me about the the different layers of comics out there like there's like, like this this is all perfectly valid but just in terms of like the scripting being descriptive there's like the people who watch the movies and then there's gonna be people that read like marvel and dc and then there's gonna be people who read so like image and then there's gonna be people who read like even more like indie publishers like dark horse and source point press and aftershock and maybe you know maybe a bad example but um awa yeah. etc and, and and then there's and then there's like another layer where it's like all these different exciting like kickstarters which aren't even with a like formal publisher and they're just like getting like pushed out the door by people like you who have that passion and that drive and just want to like create something that that yeah just that, that they want to create yeah and, I, and it was real interesting i was listening to a podcast about comic books because i'm i'm dorky and i like to if i'm not thinking That's... about comics i want i want to listen to someone else thinking about comic books <laughs> which is great um but i was listening to this podcast uh, and they were interviewing a guy who had worked for Dark Horse. He'd also worked with Image Comics, uh, and he was launching his own Kickstarter for his own creator-owned book that had no publisher behind it at all, um, working with some artists that he had used who was also a quasi-professional and worked with DC and Marvel and blah, 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 blah. Had all the pedigree. But they were asking him like the difference between those things, and he basically broke it all down. He was like, you know, you might have... Uh, uh, you might get a gig working for DC and they're like, we want you to draw, you know, the back half of the comic book for Batman issue, blah, 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 blah. And this is your page rate. And once you get paid the page rate, that's all you get. And then we will publish it. We'll make millions of dollars. And then we'll just shoo you away if you have any qualms with the scenario. And he's like, and that's perfectly fine. Lots of people do that. It's just like meat and potatoes. It's like going to work and coding on a computer all day and then you come mm. home and you draw a paycheck. That's just what that is. He said, and then there's publishers like Dark Horse where you propose a book to them and they say, yes or no, we like this or we don't like this, but you get to retain the rights as the right, owner yeah. of the book. And and then there's more, like, it's just like you said, it's like a layer cake and you peel it peel it apart. But there, there are different aspects to every one of those scenarios that I would... I would be interested in in partaking in because yeah, that'd be great to have on my on my dance card for it to say that I illustrated a Superman book. That would be awesome. That'd be yeah, because then other people look at you and say, oh well, this dude must know what he's doing, which would be a lie. But they would look at it and they would think that that was true, you know. So there's all those <laughs> there's a bunch of different ways to look at it. Yeah, I think it's cool that there's for better or worse those different avenues out for creators as you say something like the indie publishers like boom studios or dark horse where or even more where they they have it's not quite as it's still like creator own but it has that 
like publisher that has a role in it as opposed to something like image which is completely just like um you're like you're, you're on your own in terms of like creator owns and then even with in it image there's like skybound and, and the, not even mentioning just the like big two the marvel and dc which is of course like working on the superheroes and i don't know it's always interesting to me to think about absolutely yeah yeah the, and the other thing about it too is that so the avenues are now there right they weren't there 10 years ago 15 years ago mm. not in the same way that they are now because kickstarter isn't even that old it hasn't been around that long um and then beyond that the tools have gotten exponentially better so what would take me you know forever to do on a piece of paper with pen and ink i can now bang it out in hours on an ipad because you can draw backwards you can fully erase things you can make it whatever size you need you can cut things out and make stickers you can do, you know you can just do you've got access to every brush on conceivably on the planet basically um and that just means that you get to move at a breakneck speed uh, at least I do, because I know what it's like to draw on paper, and, and it's 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 a it's an art form in and of itself. Just being able to master that medium and get it to get it to do what you want it to do, you know. Yeah, and yeah, I, I know there's there's a lot of differences between, as you say, like working to study and working physically. So, so I feel like I keep saying this, but you know, that's another thing that I find cool caring about from creators. Whether I'm interviewing them, interviewing them, or like listening to another interview with someone else on them, or etc. Yeah, the 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 biggest thing for me because I I was listening to or I was looking at some work by Sean Phillips and he was saying about his process basically you know he draws with pencil he does all his pencils and layouts and stuff on a, a digitally and then he prints them out using a big huge expensive printer I'm assuming it's expensive mm, right. on illustration board and then he likes the marks he can make with an actual brush on paper and that sounds like the perfect uh that sounds like the perfect matchup of the two for me because i really miss inking with a pen and a brush and all of that stuff i mean i i loved it it was so cool and it's so tactile and you can get so many different marks um that you can't really get digitally um like dry brush and crazy things like that uh and I miss it, and I wish I could do that. I don't have the funds to afford the printer that Mr. Phillips probably has. Huh. Uh, so <laughs> I'm left with my, my Apple Pencil, which is fine. Which is fine for now. It's still good. If it works, it works, then. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not complaining. I'm just, like, trying to think of this utopian society where I'm, I'm given the tools that I need at my every whim. Like, oh, well, I think for this panel, I'd like to do it with a paintbrush and in real life, you know. And I know, I know that's like a far cry from what will actually happen for me. So nice, yeah. So we touched on briefly the uh, different publishers. If somehow someday you eventually got a chance to work for and do something for Marvel or DC, is there? Any particular superheroes that you would want to write or draw for, or be interested in? Ooh, oh man, ooh yeah, I would, I would love to illustrate Martian Manhunter. He's been one of my ooh. favorites forever and ever. Um, I would also really, really love to illustrate Supergirl. Um, I'd like to write Supergirl. Actually, I think I have some pretty good stories that could, that would push the envelope in a way that it hasn't been pushed for that character, and I feel like that character hasn't been. Uh, 
no, in my opinion, they haven't really, you know, taken a, a deep dive into what what that experience would be to be Supergirl, you know. Um, so I also already wrote a book for uh, a Batman story, and I was gonna draw it and then just release it and see if I get sued. It like it takes place. It's like Batman adjacent, and it's about this girl who's growing up in like the ghetto, 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 like the black part of town of Gotham, and it's the part of town where even Batman doesn't go over there because there he's too busy fighting like super villains and bank robbers and all stuff. And she's like, all we have is like you know pimps and pushers and drug dealers and stuff on the corners and gang violence, things like that, and it's stuff that Batman's Batman's off being part of Justice League, and he there's no money there, so no one cares. Right. So her her dad kind of takes it on himself to start acting as Batman and try and put the fear of fear of the Dark Knight into the villains and stuff, except her dad gets killed. And so she goes on this like uh, experiential, like self self learning journey to find her father's killer. And she almost kills the bad guy. But she has this moment. She's like, no, this is where I need to this is where I need to become my own superhero blah 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 but it takes place in gotham and it takes place inside that dc universe and all that kind of stuff but i have it set in the 90s and there's a bunch of really great hip-hop music in the background and subways and graffiti and all this like very urban i think i'm gonna do it anyway and just hope that they sue me and we'll see what happens yeah yeah i mean this is not legal <laughs> advice but i know that, 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 there are there so many different like fan comics out there like fan art. I'm sure there'd be a way to just like release it free under like a as like a fan comic sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Or 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 never really mention Batman by name and never use the <laughs> logo by name and never use Gotham by name. You know, but allude to the whole thing so heavily that it's really obvious. Like what's going? You know what I mean? There are ways to write it. So I mean, yeah, you have series like like uh invincible when they did their like par- the guardians of the globe their parody just as league and like black hammer and more recently there was this comic from dark horse called minor threats i don't know if you heard of it with like Patton Os- Os- oswald on the no. on the team i can't remember so i can't remember who else was on it but that that was like a really fun book and had like a batman uh what's the word like homage um yeah, so that was interesting. I'm sure that there's definitely a way to do it legally. Yeah, it's just like with Watchmen, you know, you have the owl. Yeah. That's Batman, but kind of Batman light, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, it's it's it, there are ways to do it. So that that's, uh, but if I was going to do it, I mean, I, the, the DC stuff that I really love um, was definitely like, you know, Batman year one, the, the, the gritty down and dirty kind of stuff or like uh captain america comic books from like the 70s where they take place in parts of new york city that you don't want to go to because you know there's pimps and pushers and all this kind of stuff i would want to do a period piece not like a modern comic book like i would want to do a supergirl that was set in 1975 you know what i mean with all the crazy cars and all the music that's happening in the 70s and blah 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 blah. that's what i would want to do I think it would be really fun. Yeah. I think it is always really cool when creators do something with, with a series that's a bit, bit out there. It's just sort of like creative and unique. It makes it stand out beyond the usual. Like, I don't know if you read the recent Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow written by 
Tom King art by Bill Bill Chris Everly, so I don't know if I pronounced that right, but and that that was a really cool, like beautiful book that was I don't know, it, uh, it, it was it was it was just told in a fun way and uh, I really enjoyed it. I know it's got a lot of praise and I think there's gonna be a, a movie based on it on James Gunn's new DC slate. So cool. Yeah, I mean yeah. I, I saw I saw uh, you know promo for it and stuff and it looks mm. it's, it's yeah. really cool looking. I'll probably steal that dude's inking techniques for uh, a comic book in the, in the near future. Cause I really, really liked it. But um, yeah, I, the, 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 those characters, sometimes you come across a character like Supergirl or Batman or Superman, or those, those big names where you can retell it so many different times in so many different ways that why not, you know, as long as it's entertaining and you can find fresh artists and nowadays, man, there are so many good comic book artists. It's not like the nineties when there was Jim Lee Todd McFarlane and Mark Silvestri, and that was about it. You know, there's the Kuberts and the mm-hmm. the Ramadas and whatever. But outside of that, there wasn't there. I mean, there was a few. There was a smattering, a sprinkling. Nowadays, there's like this floodgate of people who are just awesome at drawing stuff, and I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I love it. I get flabbergasted. I get overwhelmed. The piles of books I wanna, I want to have. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. As you say, that there's just so much talent out there and especially like you mentioned with how things have opened up on the indie scene over the last well, 20 years even last um which is really cool to see and also i just wanted to mention that uh, i can remember who the colors colorist was on woman of tomorrow but so mateus lopez and his colors with, with the artwork that's just absolutely breathtaking but yeah yeah and uh, um uh, like uh who was another one that really blows my mind uh elizabeth brightweiser I believe that's her name. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm probably saying it wrong. Um, yeah, she's she's done she's done a lot of work with uh, Ed Brubaker as well. And men, her colors. It's funny because he'd have a book that was not colored by her, and then there's like this stark point where she takes over doing the colors, and you're like, oh, these colors are awesome. Who was the colorist before? They were kind of boring. You know what I mean? <laughs> where you're like, wow, this really really changes the dynamic of the book. You know, so. Nice. Yeah. Uh, oh, so before we wrap up, we we've sort of talked a bit about like modern recent books. Is there anything that you're you've managed to read lately which you've enjoyed? Oh yeah. Um, I just finished. Uh, I finished rereading Rumble by uh, John Arcudi and James Heron. That was that's always fun. I mean, it's just so. I don't know if you've read it. It's an image book from a few years back. Oh, um, I don't know if I've heard of it, but yeah, that looks interesting. Oh, it's it's a wild ride. It's one of those things where you're reading it and it's just, the images just jump off the page. The way James <laughs> Heron illustrates is just crazy. It's so it's so fun. Yeah, that um, art looks awesome. It's, it's yeah, it's really really the first the first I believe five collected editions. So like the first twenty books. Uh, James Heron illustrated, and then it switched to uh, David Rubin, who is a Spanish illustrator. Uh, yeah, um, I think I have heard of this before, actually. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth worth a read. And uh, Rubin did another book that I stumbled across called recently called um, The Rise of the House of West, and then he did The Fall of the House of West, which were written by Paul Pope, and they're prequels to Battling Boy which came out on first, second press. And that's by Paul Pope, who is most, I think he's most known for Heavy Liquid. That's that's the book that he did. But yeah, all of that stuff I've been reading like crazy. I just, I love it. It's so good. 
it's really weird. It's really, really weird. It, it, it reminds me of, uh, uh, oh my God, what's the guy's name? Uh, I forget his name, but the illustrator from uh, Little Nemo and Slumberland. Have you ever looked up those comics from the 1920s or whatever? There. No, I'm not sure if I have. You should check it out in terms of the in terms of the 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 artwork and putting things on a page and how everything's laid out and the amount of detail and stuff that was going into these things that were just syndicated in the newspaper. You know? Yeah, um, it's just mind blowing. But Paul Pope, some of his stuff from Battling Boy really reminds me of that. The way he sets up panels and things, where you're like, how are you? You get these perfect brush marks, and they look so haphazard, but they're they're so purposeful and they have so much meaning and the line weight and all of it is just i can you know i can just drool over those books forever you know because i'll read through them and i'll read them really fast because the story carries you through real quickly and there's action and stuff happening and then i'll be like oh wait i gotta back up let me read it again and i'm gonna slow down and i'm gonna look at all the panels and i'm gonna really study the artwork because there's so much there you know but that's what i've been reading lately so. nice Nice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else to add. I, I don't know. I, I don't think I have anything else to add apart from just go support uh, the Ritter. I, I got a chance to read that first book and I definitely say it's worth supporting. And yeah, yeah it's it, it just these things that I definitely need your support. And I think in this case, it definitely deserves it. It's running till, running till March 6th, I think. Is that correct? Yeah, the campaign Start starts. Up. February 14th on Valentine's Day and it runs through March 6th. So, so there's a 20-day window. And if you missed uh, the Yuriko campaign last September, which most people on Earth probably did, but if you did, <laughs> it's going to be added in there along with the rest of the Lesser Known Comics back catalog. So you can add it as an add-on. I'm also going to add on some extra fun stuff like some signed copies of comics and a limited edition of sketch covers where I will just draw something on the cover of the book if you want me to just say, hey, draw this. And I'll be like, okay, I'll try. Um, so that, that'll be fun. But yeah, the, the campaign launches on the 14th of February. So please, please, please go check it out and help me continue drawing comic books so I don't have to be a carpenter for the rest of my life. Yeah. Just, yeah. Again, good, good support. And thank you for coming on. This this has been fun. I'm glad we were able to work this out. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man, for being accommodating. I'm, I'm sorry I'm not, I'm not as tech savvy as I should be. I'll endeavor to do better in the future. Yeah, it's a, it's all good. No one can be um, perfect. We, yeah, we worked it out and that was the main thing. Yeah. Cool. Well, well, just have a nice rest of your day then. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot. It was great meeting you, man. Yeah, you too. All right. Bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at JoeTalksComics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JoeLovesComics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye!